y'all. It's Laura and Sarah from Clear Eyes Full Shell, and we are coming at you with Season 3, Episode 2 of our podcast, and we have a super special awesome guest for Extra you today. awesome. Ooh. And Very so awesome. please welcome <laughs> one of our favorite bloggers, Nafisa. Yay! Um, and, Hi! And Nafisa, you're um, the famous bibliographic monologues and the book wars. Mm-hmm. We love both of those blogs so much. Very much. And you're an incredibly <laughs> prolific blogger. It kind of freaks me out, I have to say. <laughs> like, um, kind of in awe of your ability to consistently put out not just the quantity, but a very, very high level of thoughtfulness in everything you put out online. I agree. Oh, well, um, thank you. I'm all abashed now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, well, the book was I do with three of my colleagues, so I basically um, bully them into helping me. <laughs> um, that's actually how I got Laura to yeah, I, yeah, I was my just friend. Gonna say that. I was just and like, that sounds really familiar. Why does that seem familiar? <laughs> <laughs> like 2 a.m. emails, have you typed, like, have you done your post yet? Because I don't see it scheduled. <laughs> I'm probably a tyrant. But it's okay. No, you're efficient and effective. Exactly. That's what I, I prefer to call it efficient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I yes. think the book wars is really interesting, too, because of the way you guys, because you all met in um, doing your master's degree, correct? Yes, yes. Um, we did uh, the, a master's of arts and children's lit at uh, UBC. And I, I remember very clearly, we were sitting in the lounge. We had this really beautiful lounge um, for the faculty. And I was like, let's start a blog. And they're all like, no. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, we are starting a blog. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we decided we could not come up with a name until my friend Stephanie and I, were, we just arbitrarily decided, because I think Star Wars was out at the time. We are like, we're going to be the Book Wars. That's what you're going to be. Ah, it's a great name. It really yes. is, and it's a little bit cheeky because you guys are actually not very um violent or violent. <laughs> like yeah. you know, you're very you know you're you're very forceful and clear. But I would expect yeah. more. Well, we are not Canadian. actually combative. <laughs> <laughs> be very polite. <laughs> we we are, very, but but you should read um, Janet's. Uh, when Janet is displeased, she yes. is she is very like she can put anyone down, and she does it so articulately and eloquently. I'm like I'm in awe. Yeah, she's because she there was something fairly recently that she really she's very um yeah I'm trying to think of the right word very sharp. In yes. Yeah. Very sharp and pointed, and it's it's kind of impressive. It, it, she is. I mean, like she's the nicest person. She's always singing, and she makes the most delicious cookies. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she does. That's always a plus. Yes, I know. Like she brings the best baked goodies to our meetings. So. <laughs> oh yeah. man, I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't bring baked goods to meetings. No, I don't think we have meetings. So, I mean, <laughs> well, when we do meet, which is not very often now that we have all graduated and become adults, sigh. We become masters of I know, I know. 
Adulthood is it overrated. It gets a little easier, I swear. I don't, okay, I don't so, know guys, this is like totally irrelevant, but Sarah, I'm just reading this headline right now. It says Mad Max Fury Road is glorious, thrilling, overwhelming lunacy, which means we have, we have to, to go, go see, see it. it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you, did you guys read the article about um, men's activists getting all heated about, about that film. Yes. Yeah, I was no. like, I need to watch I know. Yeah, it makes so. me want to go see it, like, right now. <laughs> yes, I have to watch The Avengers, too. I Even, was extremely disappointed in that movie. Really? Though, to be honest, I'm not going there for the story. It's all about Captain America. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm being very honest. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Mark Ruffalo, and so I felt like there wasn't enough Hulk. Because um, he's adorable with his floppy hair and, you know, mm. his thing he does with the squinting. It's just very cute. <laughs> yeah. He's I, grown on me. I never really understood him before, but I don't, he's grown on me over the years. He's a very attractive man <laughs> to me, but I have a type. So, well, and he seems very, very smart in real life, which I always very appreciate. Smart. So. Did you see that interview where he, the questions were um, uh, switched? He was being yes. asked questions. He I was saw a piece of that, yeah. Yeah, he was flailing, and it was really cute, and I was like, He's adorable. Yep. Mm. For a green man? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, I'm not really speaking specifically of the Hulk form. I'm actually speaking of... The um, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I had a cup, there was a there's a scene in that movie that made me really angry. So, really, oh, angry. I think I know what you're talking about. I heard people talking about that on Twitter. Yeah, it was really, it's it's worse than it's described in like the articles oh. and stuff. Oh my goodness, now I'm going to have to be very, very careful while watching so that I don't miss it. But it, it. doesn't involve Captain America, so you really don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I just have to make sure I'm paying attention. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. If you're all about the Captain America, you're, you're good. I swear. <laughs> okay. So uh, we have we even mentioned our podcast topic no. yet? No. I don't think we did. No. Oh, okay. But I'm always up for talking about movies, as you know. Okay. So, um, we wanted to discuss, well, a lot of things. We actually have a lengthy email thread um, that are serving as our notes. And um, we wanted to discuss, I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this, um, but really, I'd say representation. Is that, mm. uh, is that the probably? Yes. And I think that's um, a good word. Cultural, that is a good cultural appropriation slash misappropriation, mm-hmm. the way that Nafisa had mm-hmm. put it. And I mm-hmm. think that's a really, it's something we've sort of touched on off and on um, on the podcast, and I think it's a really important topic, and it's interesting because, especially as the folks from Meaning Diverse Books have really um, raised the profile of those conversations, I think it's interesting right. how mm-hmm. both people are understanding the importance of that. But at the same time, it also seems like there's people are very eager to slap a diverse label on a book, even <clears> if <throat> the diversity is actually very inauthentic and oftentimes problematic. Yeah. Yes, I think 
a most important thing that people don't realize is that it is the minority group under question who will define what appropriation is. There's this um, Canadian author, First Nations author, Lino Kishik, Tobias, who said, who basically said that it is the um, Lino Kishik Tobias. Yeah, she says that. Um, she says the issue of cultural appropriation has to de- be defined by racial minorities themselves, since they are the ones who suffer. So I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that people um, forget, um, especially in the YA spectrum, because I feel that just because it's diverse um, for one group of people doesn't mean it is appropriately diverse for everyone, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, it totally does. Uh, especially because, like, every marginalized group has their own experiences. So mm-hmm. to try to lump them all together and be like, oh, it's diverse, you should be able to relate to that. That's a false equivalency, and it's mm-hmm. not fair to everybody's individual experiences. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, did you guys hear about that brouhaha with Eddie Huang, like, probably about a week ago? No. Which okay, one? Because so, he's involved uh, in brouhaha's fairly frequently. Well, okay, this one yeah. was pretty bad. But so, for those of you who don't know, Eddie Huang is uh, he's a reality show person. He does a lot of cooking. He owns a restaurant. He wrote Fresh Off the Boat, the memoir that um, is the basis of Fresh Off the Boat, the sitcom that's airing on ABC these days. So, he did an interview where he was talking about he somehow managed to compare Asian men and the way they are treated to black women. And a lot of people got very upset and he reacted very badly on Twitter in a very sexist way. What? Uh, There's a lot of articles flying around about it right now. It's not good, but like I really I think it was a big mistake of him to even try to make that comparison in the first place. And then how he reacted when people tried to talk to him about it was, like, even worse. But, like, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> like, no. my, experience is, my experience as, like, a Korean-American in this country is not the same as that of, like, a black woman or Hispanic woman. Like, we all experience discrimination in different ways, exactly. but it's not the same. And we, it, it, it shouldn't be made to, uh, yeah, you shouldn't compare yourself in that way. I, I have and other people should compare you in that way either. Yes, because it's just so bizarre that he actually went there. What was he thinking? Wait. I, you know, I'm not sure he was. You know, he's a very, <laughs> like, he's a very fiery personality. He is. And it, it's, I mean, I think it's in a, I don't know what is it. It sort of seems like it's sort of he, when he says something, it's like he never backs down. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, and I, I, I like the fact that he's his own person yeah. and everything, and I, I think I don't think he's a bad person per no. se, but I definitely think that he messed up on this one and that I think he was, I think he should apologize, but I don't think he's going to. I don't think that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this reminds me of the Andrew Smith brouhaha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? When they get on Twitter, they should like, think a million times before they tweet. 
I yeah. think that there's a lot to be said for people who are in the public eye learning mm-hmm. to say, and I'm actually teaching class on social media right now um, mm-hmm. for business people, and one of the mm-hmm. things we talked about last night was, you know, if you screw up, which there's a good chance you will, because we mm-hmm. are all fallible, don't defend yourself. Just say, yes. you know what? I screwed up, and I'm really sorry. Don't say, mm-hmm. I'm sorry if you were offended. Don't oh. say that. That's even worse. That's worse than <laughs> saying nothing. <laughs> Just say, I'm very sorry. I screwed up. I will try to be better. You know? And don't, yeah, and just, don't and use hashtags. Just stop. Just stop. And, like, just say, I'm really sorry. Like, that's, it, there's yeah. a lot of power in, like, accepting mm-hmm. when you mess up. And, mm-hmm. like, like, people will give you a second chance. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, kind of own your screw-up. But mm-hmm. I don't know, there's just something in our world where people don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a very interesting conversation. You know, because yeah. people are always like, well, what, you know, like, am I opening myself up to a lawsuit? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what, you know, but, but really, if you want to be a decent human and you mess up, just say, I'm really sorry. I screwed up. I will try to yeah. get better. Like, just over and over. I wanted them to, like, raise their hands and repeat after me. Um, but I thought that would be extreme. So. It <laughs> might have been, yes. <laughs> but you had That's- the right idea. I think so, too. It's very important to own up. It is. I mean, I think we all mess up. And, you know, I think, you know, the Andrew Smith thing, like, I he got, I, my, I felt for me, he got asked a really bad question. And the thing we should have been getting really mad about was the stupidity of the question. But mm-hmm. then the way he chose to handle it was bad. Not been great. Was not good. Was so (laughs) ill-advised. And it's too bad because I think, I don't really care for his books particularly, but I think his books really resonate with a certain audience. Mm -hmm. And they mean a lot to the people who love his books. I mean, yeah, I was willing to give him a chance and then he came back and just ruined that. I'm like, you should have just stayed away, you know? (laughs) It was okay not saying anything. (laughs) But you had to come back, and you had to use the hashtag, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I understand why people get frustrated, too. I have a fair amount of compassion, but he just, he did everything wrong. Yeah. It was, every, it was like, dude, no, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> You're just digging a hole. It's You're making it worse, man. Yeah. And... To return to the topic, um, <laughs> that sort of topic. Oh, come on, Nafisa. No, people were asking me if, like, there are examples of um, um, representation done well. Uh-huh. And I did mention Zoe Marriott's Shadows on the Moon. Have you guys read that? I have not. I have no? not. But okay. It's sad, but I know of it, and it sounds like a book mm-hmm. that Laura would like. It is really well done, and she's always respectful to the cult. Like, she has done her um, research, and you can tell by the amount of, of stuff that she has interwoven in her narrative. So, and it's it's very respectfully done. She is very careful to not um, impose her own cultural views or perceptions of the culture she's writing about. 
And that's very important. But that's also, really hard to do, but a really important is, thing to do. Exactly. And there's also the Vine Basket by Josanne Lavelli, which which is um, dedicated to the Uyghur people. It is about the Uyghur people of East Turkestan. And this one was really, really well done because she she got um, someone from those people, uh, from uh, a person from that uh, group of people to read the book and write a letter about the book, saying, you know, her opinions and thoughts about it. And she also presented a resources for further research. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was important. And also The Ugly One by Leanne Statland, which um, is set in Peru during the time of the Incan people. She too has uh, an author's note that describes how she went to the place. And she did a whole lot of research and she gives a list of resources, like further resources for reading more about the people and the era that she's writing about. So those are both examples of when I I feel like that uh, representation is well done. But then again, I am not part of the minority, right? So right. I might think they, the, the people um, in question might feel otherwise. It's always important to remember that. Right. Yeah. So those are three examples of representation done right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really any- like what you said about how um, it doesn't seem like she imposed her Mm -hmm. views of the culture because I feel like a lot of the problematic things that I see in books, um, books that are being labeled as diverse that I don't necessarily think are truly diverse is Mm -hmm. that is what the problem is, is that the authors are imposing what they think. Um, It's it's getting into the narrative, even if they don't mean it to per se, you know what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so because, um, it's, it comes into a colon, post-colonial um, uh, discourse, right? It becomes this whole narrative. Uh, there's this uh, theor- a theorist uh, called Gayatri Spivak, who actually, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, she talked about subalterns and the subalterns of India, the, the people who don't have voices, and she, she basically said that you guys, for she cautioned anthropologists to not speak for them because what they're doing would be um, a narrative um, colonialism, textual colonialism where, where they would be imposing their own views on what they should be feeling because even though mm-hmm. they're trying to speak for them they're, it's, it's too late, their voices are lost so they, you cannot give voices to the voiceless basically Yeah. so that's I think the whole the theory can be applied to the representation as well if, you, if you're not familiar with the if you're not familiar enough don't, I mean it's such a slippery topic too right? right so it totally is and it's one that people are talking about a lot and i i see a lot of people writing about it in a way that bothers me Mm -hmm. Um, it just kind of like what i mentioned in our emails before we just when we decided to do this Mm -hmm. like i was saying where um there's a big difference in the way marginalized people are writing about diversity Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. way the dominant culture, which is like white people in our country, in our country, talk about it. It, it, There's there's a very different attitude. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that rubs me the wrong way. I don't, what do you guys think? No, I, I I agree. I think, I I think it's easy to shove everything under a diverse, um, um, an umbrella because I was, I was actually pissed off the other day because I've, I, like for the umpteenth time, I came across the token 
person of color who is a subordinate or in a position inferior. So it's like mm-hmm. my book is diverse, but but the character is is not equal but, to the yeah, protagonist. But the hero isn't. It's the yeah. It's, uh, yes. You know, yes. They they exactly. cannot be heroic. They can only be a support. The Yes, like a, like a servant or a subordinate or in some way inferior. Just that's just like the gay best friend trope that drives me Betty. <laughs> this is so one of the things um, you will learn about me. <laughs> you ever come on another podcast with us? Is that I can kind of relate stuff to like kind of all the TV shows that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, but, I, but, but there's a. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, guys. I'm hijacking this conversation. It just reminded me of there's this scene in the in the second season of Arrow, which is a show that's gotten a lot of criticism for just that thing. That like mm-hmm. there's these really awesome supportive supporting characters who are not white men, and mm-hmm. but they never get to be the hero. Though I say it's it actually has changed um, in a sense. But there's this great scene in the first episode of the second season where there's these two supporting characters and um, the woman, Felicity, is like, I'm so, I, like, I'm not going to bring him coffee anymore. This is ridiculous. And mm-hmm. the guy, his best friend, who's posing as his driver, it says to Felicity, uh, well, it could be worse. You could be his black driver. And they both, like, <laughs> and there's this little thing with this exchange <laughs> where they go back and forth. And it was, like, to, it was, like, this great thing. that I couldn't believe the writers put it in there. But it was mm-hmm. basically like mocking the show for having yeah. a setup, you know, mm-hmm. where there's these really awesome characters that are not going to be the heroes, and yeah. it was, and it was like I was like, <laughs> I was watching on Netflix, and I was like, dang, like, <laughs> way to be actually self aware. Like it was really like way to be really self aware. And then they kind of changed stuff a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's perfect, but it was just like it was probably one of the first times I've ever seen a work of fiction actually sort of acknowledge the that situation and actually be like, uh-huh. this is messed up. So we keep mm-hmm. doing this in our fiction over and over and over again. You have to be, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be this certain sort of person or else you don't get to be the hero and it's nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. And, anyway. Which is why, as we were talking yeah. before the podcast started about why we love Nafisa and I love Ms. Marvel so much, because she gets to be the hero. Yes, definitely. So. And apart, apart from the fact that she's so much fun to read about. Oh, yes, obviously. Sorry. I, <laughs> I went off on a tangent. This is my problem. This is why I'm just listening. Sorry, guys. No, no, no. Are we, are we going cool. to mention... Mention the book, the the book that you were talking about, or can we? Yeah, so we're talking about Eleanor and Park, or are we talking That's about the other one? The other one. Because Laura has things to oh. say about Eleanor and Park. I mean, Please. it's like <laughs> I haven't I haven't read that yet, but I I read the post you linked, and I was like, <gasps> "That's just wow." Now I'm uh, curious. I find that book very problematic. Mm-hmm. We bear- are we talking about Eleanor and Park? Or? Yes. Yeah. yes. I I um, haven't read it because I couldn't read it because of mm-hmm. Lauren's feelings on of, it. Of course. Yeah. But I mean, I think um, I think Eleanor did a really good job in her Tumblr post of kind of articulating a lot of the issues that I had with it, um, especially with the way that Park just had such a hatred for himself. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that Korean 
the fact that he was Korean and things like that was a big issue for him. And I, I, I found that really problematic, and I found it very one-dimensional, which was just poor writing, in my opinion. And then mm-hmm. also, like, kind of to touch back on what we were saying earlier about, like, how a writer shouldn't impose um, what her her biases are in writing mm-hmm. a character. And I think she... I don't think she did a very good job with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of phrases in there that are problematic to the point of being offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she refers to... Uh, she makes a reference to Park's mom being, like, a China doll, which yeah. is, like, a pretty yeah, offensive... Like, oh, that's, that's bad. Yeah, that's and all- the way she describes her, um, Park's mom, her English is broken, and I have, like, it really bothers me when people use the phrase broken English, and I hear it a lot, um, in reference to people whose native languages are Asian. Mm-hmm. And I... I think it's really unfair. And I'm just like, okay, white person, why don't you go to China and see how you do over there? Exactly. You know, like, it really bothers me that, like, these people come to this country and they are, they've, it's their second language and the languages are so different. Like, everything about them, their structure, grammatically, like, Everything about the languages are different, and people are, are like, oh, the English is so broken. Like, there's something wrong like there's with there's something defective. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I studied uh, Korean for four years, and, and it was, the like, it's completely different language, and especially, I mean, all languages are different from each other, but I know exactly what you mean. That's what I was going to say. And plus, a tangent here, but if you, you should read um, a concise Chinese English Dictionary of Full Lovers by Xiao Lu Guo. I think it addresses this very beautifully. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I totally agree with what you're saying. Well, and there's also just some, and one of the things we talked about before we started um, recording were, were names. And in that particular mm-hmm. book, there's some big issues with regard to the way people are named. Like, Mark yes. having a Korean last name as a first name. And yes. then the yeah. mother being what is it? Min Day is like it's yeah. like basically not it's not a name. It's it's yeah. functionally completely incorrect. Yeah. And well and Min is also a last name in Korea. Yeah, so there's this like very yes. lazy, sloppy um construction of the character and I've seen people say that, you know, well the mother is just you know, she's just a side character and it's like, well, that's actually really important that you have Yes. Well, and the problem is, too, is that, like, she's not just a side character, but she is, like, a a gross caricature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frankly. She really is. Like, she's got, like, you know, like, in the book, Park's dad, like, met her in Korea and, like, saved her, kind of, because she was supposedly super poor and, like, saves her and brings her to the U.S. And her oh, life is so much better now. And, you know, and just, like, the whole thing with, like, they always talk about how how pretty Park's mom is. And it's, like, got that whole, like, Asian female fetishizing thing that happens. Do you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like, and I don't know. It's just really problematic all the way around. 
And yes. um, she just didn't, re- her character didn't really have any depth either beyond just being like this Asian China doll thing that got saved by this white American soldier. Well, so the, sa- the, the savior narrative. And yeah. yeah. Mm. Really problematic, I and think. And in that book, also, I mean, it's, again, it's, and I have to have this disclaimer that I, ha- I haven't read it and I won't read it. Um, mm. But, you know, I've read enough excerpts and talked to Laura enough about it that I feel like I have a certain level of competency about it. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also, I mean, the whole narrative seems to have a lot, like, like the fetishization, I cannot talk, fetishization of, um, Park as well. So all of the Asian characters in there, there's a, you know, with his, isn't it like his ninja magic from that oh, raising? Yeah. And oh the, dear. Uh, yeah. There's like lots of little things like that. I mean, every time I read, a, a, you know, a criticism of that book, there's another sort of phrase, sort of lazy phrasing that I notice. And it, that stuff is just to me, it's so, freaking lazy and it's yeah. disrespectful and it's mean like honestly at, the, at this point it feels like it's mean yeah I, mean, I, t- I totally agree and also like shifting away from on um, part to um the J. Kristoff book which is mm-hmm. um what's storm, it called storm dance yes yes yeah. that that basically the wikipedia fantasy oh yes yes yeah, and he, that was his research was consulting wikipedia and volumes of manga. Mm-hmm. And plus... That'll tell you fact, everything you need to know about Japanese culture. And <laughs> the fact that he gave green eyes to a um, to a Japanese um, um, love interest. And, you know, he just makes green eyes um, sound so much more beautiful than anyone else's brown eyes. Saying that... Um, green eyes, or rather the European standard of beauty is to be upheld even in countries that have people who do not look like Europeans, which is perpetuating mm-hmm. the hegemonic, uh, um, the hegemony, right? So, um, that, yeah. doesn't, doesn't Park and Eleanor and Park also have green eyes? Really? Well, I think he him, does. I think, he, I'm pretty sure he does, actually. Yes, I think he does. to Google, um, he but, does. And then also, like, Park's brother in that book um, resembles his father more than his mother, and Park thinks that his brother's life must be so much easier because he looks more white and just the way that, like, the Caucasian-ness that is in them is kind of more revered, I guess. I don't know. I found that very problematic and offensive, personally. Is Is it addressed in the book? Do you know, like, is his, uh, like, is Park's, are Park's feelings addressed in the book where he finds some sort of, I don't know, closure or acceptance about his own no, culture? No, 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 no. He's just like, okay. no, not at all. He, his whole existence of his character is to really, it's like wishful fulfillment for Eleanor, right? I mean, is that my understanding of it? And, sorry, that sounded really critical. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess so. I mean, I haven't really thought about it in that way, but yeah, that I would say that you're probably right about that. This is honestly this, and this is a little bit tangential. That's one of my big as like that dual point of view thing has become so popular in YA. What I think is really interesting is that like wish fulfillment narrative with the like male point of view, who he has a point of view, but it really only exists to like fill the the sort of need of the other point of view. 
it really frosts me. Like, it bothers me so much more than when it's, like, a first-person point of view. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. well, then, you know, it's it's kind of feels like, well, it's okay because it's, you don't really get to be in their head. But when it's the dual yeah. point of view, it's like, but when it's, but when it's the, the, the dual point of view, it's, um, it feels really icky. Like, really, really icky. And I know that's a really profound, um... It was like that in the uh, the book club book we read about. Well, I didn't finish reading it, but about the two people in the elevator. Um, the girl is like a really conservative Jewish girl. Um. Oh yeah, that's that one. Um. Oh gosh. That it was like that for that book too, it was though, really, right? That book was really. Um, it was Una Lamarche's book. Yes, Una Lamarche. And it was like. What is that book called? I'll get it in just a second. It's, yeah, I can pull it up in a second. Um, like No Other. Yes, And that's that it. book, mm-hmm. so that book had so much potential because, have you read it, Nafisa? No, I haven't. Um, it had, so, so the setup is, it's the dual point of view thing, which, you know, is like the thing these days. And it's a boy and a girl, and the girl is Hasidic Jewish. And the boy is, um, oh. He's black, isn't he? Yeah, but he's, he's, um, uh, his family is from, his parents are from. Oh, they're Caribbean. Yeah, and I, I mm. can't remember which island, but it's actually, you know, theoretically important to the story. Um, and so they have this sort of cultural contrast, you know, they both actually come from fairly conservative families. And, um. But it is this dual point of view, and the girl, because um, we read this in book club, uh, Deborah, uh, she actually gets a really complete and full story. But the boy um, Jackson, he does not. He just exists, even though he has a whole point of view. He just mm-hmm. exists to serve Deborah's arc, and so like his culture is never really explored. His family, which is probably one of the most interesting parts of the book, it seemed like, could be. It doesn't really have any richness to his experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just very, even though we're getting his point of view, the point of view we see of him is really all about her. Yeah, and it had a lot of potential it just did. because he was dealing with being like, you know, a second generation person. Yeah. At dealing with all the things that you deal with kind of being like, kind of stuck in the middle of two cultures and not being able, you know, and a lot of things, when you live that way, a lot of things conflict with each other and you have to figure out how to deal with that. And I think that challenge is, could have been really well, it, it could have, the book could have been better, I think, if she had mm-hmm, explored mm-hmm. that a bit more. Yeah, it just, but it, and it could have been, I mean, because the setup was really interesting because they had these very complex like, family tensions and sort of obligations to their greater sort of communities. and But it just, it, again, it just, it, it bothers me. It really, ugh. I'm actually, because she's actually a strong writer, too. So it's not like the writing was just bad. It was like the writing was sort of wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I would probably read something else by her, but I also don't necessarily trust her yeah. as a writer because of, the way she just didn't do justice to Jackson's character. Yeah. 
Well, like, and I think that book got a lot of critical praise. It did. And I think a lot of the the things that I've read about it where people really like how she portrayed the Hasidic Jewish community and mm-hmm. stuff. So she did that really well. But it doesn't change the fact that she didn't deal with Jackson's character well. And on some levels, it was problematic, I would say. I felt like on some levels, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just that it wasn't well done, that there was some problematic elements to it. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing with, like, the whole diversity thing is that, like, I feel like a lot of people are, like, really quick to be, get really excited and be like, oh, this is a diverse book. It's so awesome. It's diverse. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like people, there's a lot of things going on these days where people are just like, okay, I'm going to read, I, I'm going to have a diverse book goal this year. And I'm not saying that's bad, but they're just like, I feel like in some ways these quotas are kind of limiting because I'm just like, okay, so you read a book by an African-American author. That's great. Does that mean that you're done for the year? Like if another good one comes up, you'll be like, no, no, I already filled my quota. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yes. And then like, I feel like people are so excited when they see these diverse labels on books. They're just like, oh, it's diverse. It's representation. It's awesome. More representation. But then... It, it doesn't necessarily when it if it doesn't represent well, does that mean make it a truly diverse book or a diverse mm-hmm. book worth reading? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I so. think that's I mean I think that's and the book that we had been um, emailing about that is coming out that none of us have read. So in fairness, yes, none of us. Yes. but there's a book coming out that is set in Korea, set in a boarding school. The point of view is a white American teenager, and it's sort of set around the sort of pop music scene, um, from mm-hmm. what I understand, and... Uh, K-pop, yeah. Yeah, and... K-pop. Um, and just reading, you know, just even the the blurbs and the early reviews, I mean, there's so many red flags with regard to the authenticity. But yet, yeah. it's still getting... Um, you know, it's already, I see that, you know, the author has claimed that it's, you know, it's a diverse book. And, you know, I, I see it on, you know, people on Goodreads lists of, you know, reading divert, you know, diversely. And to me, it's like, well, that, you know, does that count if it's probably a really gross representation and not, not accurate? And even things like names are, I mean, the names in that book are ludicrous. They make no sense. They really are, and I think ludicrous. I mean, the author wrote a blog post about why she set the book in Korea and stuff like that, and that blog post is was just really troublesome. Yeah, exactly. Really, I mean, and the fact that she's just like, oh, I watch lots of Korean drama, and I'm like, uh, like. That's probably that's like that's like somebody writing somebody from another country writing a book on America based on Beverly Hills 90210. Okay, like I'm sorry, but that's not like it that. might it might be entertaining, but it would still be in no way, shape, or form authentic. Yeah, I think. How I do you guys like my 90s reference there? Well, yes. I approve, as you know. I'm I'm pro any and all 90s references. Yeah, it's it slips me by a bit. <laughs> oh, you're just a youngin. <laughs> but, oh my God, how old are you, Nafisa? Sorry, I'm I'm, I'm I'm old. I'm 31. But I oh. was in Fiji, so I thought you so were in I, your 20s. No, no, I'm I'm old. I did too. Why did I think that? Are you sure I you're 31? Know. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. No, it's a it's a secret. <laughs> no, seriously, I thought you were. No, I satisfied. am. I am very sure. I'm very sure that I'm 31. Yes, but people often mistake me for being. No, but like in my mind, you were like 25. Why did I think that? I don't ever oh, because think that's ages. what I had in my mind too. Is that maybe it's because you just finished your master's and I just associate. No. Is someone else master's who writes on your on the book wars like in their 20s? Is that maybe yes. why I maybe got yes. someone confused? No, there are definitely younger people <laughs> than me. Maybe that's the- what. Maybe I just assumed you guys were all the same age. No, that- no, no, no. But I, I was in Fiji most of uh, the '90s, and you know we didn't get much like pop culture, American Western, North, North American pop culture. Just usually passes. And also, let's just be honest. Laura and I are so used to everyone on the internet being drastically younger than us. <laughs> 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 I mean, honestly, aren't you, Laura? No, this is what we get for spending our time on Twitter and Tumblr. <laughs> it's true. I'm so used to everyone on the internet being 22. <laughs> like. Yeah. Sadly. I just, I just assume all people on the internet are way younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think the what, like, ticked me off most about her uh, the most about her post is Katie Stout's post um, is her explanation for why she said there because she wanted it to be nice and fresh you know everyone's done everywhere else so we'll yeah. just so it's like who, yeah. like no one's done Korea well, <laughs> yeah. well and the way that oh. she was so like oh you know I originally was going to do it in this country but I just decided to do it in this country instead you know like they were interchangeable what yes Yes, exactly, and and how that she dismisses. really, really, really rankled me a lot. <laughs> and she dismisses. It. She was like, "It's never been done." Oh, um, um, I don't know who did it, but oh, it's a fantasy. So you know, I was like, I know, "That really, in particular, bothers." Like, okay, so the actually <laughs> Korean person did it, but it didn't count because it's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Which was like, no, please, no. I mean, wow. I don't know what, like, other people are going to think about it, but I'm worried that seeing the reactions to um, Stormdance, that people would assume that what they're reading in the book is um, is, is a decent portrayal of what uh, Korean K-pop is. And that's definitely not true. Because I remember when I was trying to talk to someone about Stormdance, and they were like, yeah, so... Um, they, they assumed that what they were reading about Japanese culture was what the book had said. And I'm like, that's not true because the book uh, the book took the language itself and appropriated it, which, you know, just made me so angry. Oh, my God. Yeah, and apparently in... Um, what's the name of the book? Hello, I Love You? Yeah. 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 She, she talks about the language, too, and she says it's so hard and whatnot, because I read a really detailed review of it. <laughs> and she's like, all this, I don't know, she made it sound as if it was the most difficult thing in the world to learn to read, and it was annoying, and I just feel that people are going to um, read the book and um, just accept that the, that they what they're reading is the true a genuine portrayal of Korean life and K-pop. Even though we are like no anyone educated would know to do their research, but if we see who the targeted audience is, they're they're going they're much more gullible than adults, right? So 
Well, and they yes. maybe haven't had the chance to um, to explore. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I think it's a good point about the target audience, too, where it's like they haven't really expanded their minds and whatnot, you know, enough to know any better necessarily yet than what how these books portray things. So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, too. Mm-hmm. No, I agree as well, because it... I don't know. And I don't know what's going on. Like, it's so interesting to me, because I feel like middle grade writers are doing some really awesome things with regard mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, diversity. I think publishers are as well in the middle grade, um, where they're putting, you know, being gutsier with their covers and being more um, thoughtful with regard to, you know, accuracy in terms of characters on covers of books and all of that. So, I mean, you know middle grade better than I do, Nafisa, but that's just my, mm-hmm. the, because um, mm-hmm. I sort of, my middle grade knowledge is more focused on just novels and verse. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that sort of narrow niche, it feels like they've made a lot more cro- progress than they have in books for teens and for adults. <sighs> I feel like YA is getting very, very formulaic. Yeah. And that is not something that uh, middle grades um, suffers from. Because middle grade is exploring, and it's their, like, their books are so complex. I've, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys read Far- Frances Harding. Have you guys ever read any no. of her book? Mm-mm. Okay. If you guys, like, I've her- heard really good things about her new book, though. I'm reading it currently, and so far, I am so impressed. I mean, all of her books are, well, they're not necessarily the best books ever, but the writing is superlative, you know? I mean, she explores characters and issues so amazingly. So, well, she hasn't, like, she's not, her books are not diverse, diverse so far, but I have a feeling that if they were, she would go out and do her research mm-hmm. and present them really really well yeah but yeah yeah sorry go ahead no i was just i just really feel like they are in in middle grade pushing a lot more just in terms of writing quality even a lot i mean Mm -hmm. and trying new things and being more and i don't know where that comes from um and YA publishers are seem to be very looking for the next of the thing that was just big Many makers. Yeah, yeah. it's like the next Eleanor Park, the next Fault in Our Stars, the next Harry Potter, the next like it's always like it's like they're chasing yes. the next. I mean, I was like, I'm going to Book Expo America this year, and I'm uh-huh. looking at the like roster of galleys and stuff, and I'm like, there's like three that interest me. Everything mm. else sounds like the same thing that I've been seeing for four years. I mean, really, and even the titles, it's like so and so and so and so, or the whatever of whatever or you know the so-and-so's daughter don't even get me started on that title for me oh my god that, that but it's just i don't know i hate that i absolutely hate that title sequence it really but it's just or like, oh yeah that's bad too um but it's just over and over again this sort of same stories and it's it's interesting as you know the you know the the we diverse books folks are pushing, pushing, pushing for, um, you know, better books and better representation that it seems like, on the other hand, like, publishing is saying, like, oh, yeah, we want that, and then they're turning around and all their 
everything they're acquiring is exactly the same stuff they've been acquiring. Exactly. Yeah, and their attempts at representation have not necessarily been good. No. Thanks for listening to the Clear Eyes Full Shelves podcast. Be sure to check out our book reviews, recommendations, opinion, and all-around nerdy badassery at cleareyesfullshelves.com or on Twitter at Full Shelves. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. Until next time, clear eyes, full shelves, can't lose.